Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. Today I'm going to read a patron email about suicide in the military and about the culture of the military. And I'll provide some statistics and speculate as to what the problems are and and maybe where we're heading. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. So this patron writes in and says, I'm in the military and I identify as a leftist feminist. The military is filled with every gross right-wing bro thing like sexism, racism, and imperialism. Before joining, I knew about the military's stance on mental health, and I figured I'd just deal with not being able to go to therapy. I'd be interested in your, th- in your thoughts on how the military ignores that its practices foster depression or at least penalizes members for having depression, or that the Navy is pretending to be woke now, and despite having plenty of queer folks, completely marginalizes LGBTQIA members. It's normal to hear words like retarded and faggot and slut on a pretty consistent basis. Even though that's not exactly related to depression, to me it reflects the general ableism in the military. People in the military are from all over the country, so I wonder if many were more PC before they joined. Sometimes I find myself laughing at jokes that I wouldn't have found funny before. For instance, making fun of gay sex, for example. The other day in our safety brief about drinking on the weekend, uh, drinking responsibly on the weekend, there was this implication that feeding women drinks is okay as long as they're attractive. The conversation about sexual assault always comes down to getting caught instead of the fact that rape is a shitty thing to do to another person. I was also asked by another of my superiors if I was a lesbian because I wear my hair high and tight. The room was full of people and it got really quiet and everyone just looked at me. The worst, though, is probably how suicide is talked about. It's a joke to my superiors and there's often this undertone that suicidality is a result of weakness. A friend of mine killed himself and someone else said about him, he was weak and it brought us down. Get over it, unquote. So that's the email from the patron. All right, what do I have to say about it? Well, I don't have much to add to this, and you know, this is much more detail than I would have imagined. I mean, uh, it you know, it, it's always hard. I'm not in the military, so it's just hard for me to know. And and the military is a bit of a mystery to me. So when I when I read this email and other emails like it, honestly, uh, it's like interesting to hear this inside, you know, opinion from from some individuals. But I. I've also so I've talked to a lot of people in the military. I've uh, I've had a lot of clients in the military. I have um, I don't know uh, a lot of people email me who are in the military, um, and you know this this doesn't really surprise me given everything that I've heard. And honestly, the rest of society is like this. So the fact that you're experiencing ableism about depression and you know, weird attitudes, uh, marginalizing, uh, hurtful attitudes about suicide in the military doesn't surprise me because in the rest of in the rest of society there are hurtful attitudes. So, to me, this just exhibits the massive min- misunderstanding of the impact of mental illness. You know, in in the past, having been diagnosed with a disorder, uh, most likely disqualified you from military service or you know, either getting in or maybe they'd kick you out or they wouldn't allow you to be promoted or you wouldn't get special assignments or something. Um, But lately, the military is starting to change their ways. Essentially, 
from the beginning, I think you could always get a waiver. So, you know, if you were diagnosed with major depressive disorder in the past, you could appeal it essentially and get a waiver as long as you pass some sort of criteria or got someone to sign off on it or something. Um, you know, essentially, I think the military is realizing that some people who have been diagnosed with something are actually totally fit for service. Whereas in the past, they thought, well, if you've ever been diagnosed with anything in the DSM, you know, automatically you're disqualified. Well, more recently, they're starting to change their ways. I'm guessing it's very—it's been very slow because anything in society and anything as big as and as old as the institution as the American military is not going to adjust very fast. But but things are things are changing now. It makes sense that there would be some mental conditions that would disqualify you from military service. For example, active psychosis, right? You know, that that probably should disqualify you, right? If you're actively delusional and psychotic, I don't think it's a great idea that you're, uh, you know, have access to arms and uh, other people are depending on you to do your job or else they're going to die, you know, in, in war. And so... So it makes sense, but the I would guess that there's a large percentage of people who have been diagnosed with a mental disorder who are totally fine to be in the military. Now, so let's um let's uh, look at some rates here. So just some some rough statistics from the last you know a little bit of time. Uh, some studies have found that about about twenty five percent of people in the military currently have a mental disorder. This is about at par with the rest of the United States. So it seems that the military has a similar rate of mental disorders as the general population, which makes sense, right? So if a quarter of the people in the military qualify for a diagnosis, then, and if you follow a very rigid policy about no mental disorders in the in the military, then at any given time, they should be firing a fourth of their of their uh, personnel, which doesn't seem reasonable, right? Also, within those people, uh, about well, not not within those, but another statistic here is another study found that fourteen percent have thought about suicide, and five percent have planned a suicide. So there's a there's a and that's higher than the average rate. Uh, so it seems that mental disorders pretty similar to the average American, but their suicide, um, the rate of thinking about suicide and the rates of of uh, attempting and completing suicide is is uh, quite a bit higher than than the national average. Some other statistics here: uh, a study that looked at numbers from 2015. 265 active duty service members killed themselves, um, which was down from 2012 because there were much more people. And for, for whatever reason, 2012, there was a lot of people who had um, completed suicide, uh, but it's still pretty high. And a study in 2012 found that the suicide rate in the Army was about two to three times the national average. Uh, another study from, that looked at 2012 numbers found that 6,500 former military personnel died by suicide. So that's pretty alarming, right? 6,500 or 6,500 former military personnel died by suicide in 2012 alone. 
So that number is alarming, but it has to be taken in, into context in that there are millions of uh, former military personnel at any given time, you know, going back to there's still some people that are alive from World War II. You have Korea, you know, vets from Korea, just, ten, you know, so many men fought in Korea, Vietnam, lots of guys, lots of women were in the military in in Vietnam. And then you have both Gulf Wars and Afghanistan. So we're talking about a lot of people. So 6,000, when you have a lar- large group of people, you know, there's going to be a percentage of them who are going to die by suicide. However, it's still higher than the normal rate. You know what I mean? Um, the, the rate increase is particularly high for women, actually, which is interesting because normally the statistics go that uh, cisgender women tend to attempt more often than men do. But men tend to complete suicide more, much more often than women do. So that they, the, the general speculation around this is that, or the factor that's often pointed to, is that men often, when they do attempt, they often do so in a much more violent fashion. Whereas, you know, say um, women are not apt to shoot themselves in the head, for example. They might take medications thinking that they're going to die when, in fact, it's not a lethal dose. Whereas men are more likely to use violent measures like jumping off of a 20-story building or shooting themselves in the head or something like that. And so, so uh, but when you look at the, the rates of suicide in the military, women, uh, the, the, the lethality of their suicide rises almost to the rates of men. So that's interesting, right? Because what is happening for women in the military that's making it much more worse for them, you know, than than not being in the military. Um, incidentally, doing a, a mini dive into this topic, there's a lot of bad reporting on this on the internet. Journalists often don't really understand how to report statistics. For example, uh, in the same article, there's there's these two sentences that I found by I think it was like a, a major publication too, like USA Today or something. That the two um, the two sentences sentences here are the period of highest risk was just two months after starting military service. So again, the period of highest risk of suicide was just two months after starting military service. Okay, so hold on to that sentence. A little bit down the article, same uh, same article, different sentence. We found the highest rates of suicide attempts were in the first years of service. Again, we found the highest rates of suicide attempts were in the first years of service. Okay. So how can the highest rates be in the first years of service and just two, quote unquote, just two months after starting military service? That doesn't make any sense, right? You can't have the highest risk just two months and within the first few years of service. So uh, now I don't know the study they were looking at, but I suspect that and for you statistics nerds out there, you probably know what's happening here is they, they did a prevalence of suicide rates by uh, looking at um, when people begin the, you know, how, how long they've been in the military essentially. And they broke it up into different categories. So they would say, 
you know, they've been in the military for three months and they've been in the military from three to six months and they've been in the military from six to nine months. And they've been in the military from nine to 12 months and they've been in the military from 12 to 15 months. And they found that among the distribution, the, the highest of all those different groups of three months was in the first few months. So, but then when they broke out the distribution by uh, spans of years, like, you know, zero to three years versus three to six years versus six to nine years, they found that within the first three years, that was the highest rate. So if you understand statistics, you understand that um, how those graphs would look, right? And so the journalist is looking at that, looking at two different graphs and saying, Again, the period of highest risk was just two months after starting military service. And same article, we found the highest rates of suicide attempts were in the first few years of service. <laughs> so it's um, just kind of weird. Incidentally, this, this article was trying to basically make the point that uh, deployment doesn't actually cause suicide risk. Uh, that they're saying that like there's just something about the transition of just going to the military that increases one's chance of uh, dying by suicide. And, you know, there's just a lot of speculation in there and it's just hard to tell. Of course, suicide in the military would have a, a lot of different reasons as to why it's happening, right? Uh, suicide outside of the military, there's a lot of different reasons. And so it's, uh, but it is interesting that, there are there's there's kind of a, a a pretty good group of military folks who attempt and complete suicide who have never even been deployed. So it might not even have anything to do with mili- with PTSD in the military. But it, what the other thought is, it's like, well, what is the military doing to people in the first you know few months or few years, or what are what sort of people are attracted to the military? what um, what sort of backgrounds are typical to people in the military? How, how can they help people transition into the military? So so there's that. Also, I, I'm guessing there's a fair amount of people who suffer from PTSD for various reasons because of military service who uh, that's what drives them to attempt suicide also. So it's not like deployment doesn't have, you know, can't play a factor in in suicide, it's just it's just that it's a complicated issue, of course. And by the way, I just want to want a little uh, jag here is that outside of the military in the in the United States, suicide is the tenth lead, leading cause of death overall. About forty one thousand people die each year from suicide. Somewhere around you know forty to forty five thousand people die each year in the United States from suicide. That's a lot of people. And I just want to contrast this that. In the last 10 years or so, ever since 9-11, foreign-born terrorists have killed about one American per year on average. So let's, let's, just, let's just compare those two statistics, okay? Every year, about 40 to you know, 43,000 Americans die by suicide, whether they're in the military or not. You know, let's just say low estimate, 40,000. 40,000 Americans die by suicide each year. Versus one person dies from a foreign-born terrorist who may or may not even be Muslim, by the way. So let's just let's just look at those. Let's just look at that statistic: forty-one thousand versus one, and that one person who died 
may have not even been killed by a Muslim foreign terrorist. Just, you know, I just want to highlight that and just point out how stupid we are as a, as humans. Okay. So let's look at the possible factors as to why there would be ableism in the military regarding depression and more specifically suicide. Well, one, and this is all just me speculating. So take everyone, everything I'm saying with a grain of salt here. Uh, number one, number one factor I think is that um, not in order of of weight, but just the first one I thought of was that the military is comprised of mostly men, and men in general, not all men, but but many men do not have an awareness of marginalization or any kind of ism because they've just they just haven't experienced it in in. Um, in their life. Now, of course, African-American men certainly have, um, gay men certainly have. So it's not like being a man means you've never been marginalized, but when you have a, just a, a lot of men, a lot of young men together, they just lack awareness. So it's, and be, when you don't understand something or, or you don't really get it, it's easy to dismiss it, right? It's easy to be like, ah, snowflakes, you know, um, number two is that in the military, there's a rigid hierarchy. It's an extremely rigid hierarchy that has a lot of layers to it. And whenever you have a rigid hierarchy, there there tends to be problems, right? Because if your superior does something to you um, and you go to your superior superior and they say, how dare you come to me? You should, you know, there's just this, it, it's... Um, people who are at the lower levels of the hierarchy know that they don't have any power, right? And, uh, and anyway, so also mostly men are at the top of the hierarchy. So again, just a lack of awareness. Uh, number three is that there's a general cultural understanding in our society and maybe particularly in the military that when you are expressing vulnerability or any kind of hurt feelings, this means that you're weak. Um, extended from this is like if you have depression or anxiety or PTSD or suicidal thoughts, then you're weak. There's something wrong with you. You're not tough enough. There's also a, a cultural understanding, a, a misconception that these things are uncommon, that they're rare. I mean, the fact that 25% of military folks currently have a mental disorder should tell you that it's not uncommon to have a mental disorder and be in the and be in the military, but somehow there's this there's this denial or just ignorance stating that like, um, you know, mental disorders and depression being one of them is just this really uncommon thing. It's just like nope, it's very common. Also, it, there's a cultural understanding that the military is the same uh, is this is like. Um, within the right wing or, you know, the military is a Republican institution or something. And there's this cultural understanding that if you're in the military, you, you just, you don't like social justice. You don't like social justice warriors. You don't like snowflakes. You don't like uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, there's this, there's this cultural understanding. And of course that's a gross or, you know, generalization. Um, there are certainly people in the military who are Republican. There are certainly people in the military who are Democrat, just like the patron who wrote in. And so whenever it's it, let me give a, an, a, 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 an, an analogy here in Seattle, there 
it's it's considered you know Washington is a blue state is as they say it it votes very consistently Democrat. I think the last time it the Washington did not vote for a presidential candidate as a Democrat was Reagan and. Reagan was loved by everybody. You know, Reagan had just landslide approval. And so um, in Seattle, and Seattle is like, um, so Washington is a blue state, blue voting state, but Seattle is like the the bluest of the blue, right? There's, There's just a lot of liberals living in Seattle. And, but there are a number of Republicans. And it's, you know, rough estimate, say 30% of, of Seattleites are Republican who vote Republican consistently. I don't know the exact statistic, but it could be even as high as 40%. But at, at any rate, it's, you know, it's not as low as 5%. It's, it's somewhere in the realm of 30 to 40% or something. Actually, let me look this up because I, th- I think it's important for me to know. Okay. So actually, I just looked up all the, the stats here and um, I'm surprised actually. So it's Seattle... Uh, apparently, it, it took me a while to actually get some good data on this, but it looks as though only 8%, 8% of Seattleites voted for Donald Trump. 8%. <laughs> I, I mean, I, in my head, I guess I, I've always just had sort of the Washington state, you know, wide statistics in my head, because the Washington state wide, I think, is more like, you know, 40, 45% or something are, are Republican. But but in Seattle, the you know municipality, eight per, only eight percent vote of Trump. I mean, okay. Well, anyway, my my larger point is, I guess, still the same, in that if you're Republican in say you know Eastern Washington, you in your in your front yard, you're going to have a a Trump supporter uh, sign, right? A military uh, or not a military, but a presidential election campaigning sign. Trump, you know, you're like, yay, Trump. In Seattle, I, I, I didn't see a single Trump sign or sticker anywhere. And anytime I did see a sticker, it, it, I figured, oh, that person has to be not from Seattle. They have to be commuting from somewhere else. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that when you know you're in the minority, you tend to be quiet. So anyway, my larger point here, long winding road here, is that there's there's plenty of Democrats in the military. They're probably just not being... They, they probably just don't feel like they are numerous enough to be able to assert themselves as, as such. And so as in Seattle, the Trump supporters feel completely silenced. I'm guessing that as in the military, Democrats feel silenced, even though there's probably a good number of them. All right. Another factor here, number four, is that performance in the military in a very practical sense is, is measured by a lot of things that are opposite to disability, right? When you're, uh, you know, training for some, you know, for war, you have to condition your body, you have to learn how to tolerate discomfort, you have to stop whining, uh, you have to endure a lot of things because it's just a part of the job. And so there's this culture of, you know, stop whining, don't, don't be a pussy, that kind of stuff, which, you know, again, makes sense. If you're if, if your unit is at war and you have some amongst your ranks who are complaining about, you know, the fact that they're sweaty or that the air is dusty or something, then, you know, that that's not 
that's not helpful. And it, it brings down morale. It, it means that you're not concentrating on the job at hand. It means that you're not willing to tolerate things um, for the good of the whole. And, you know, it makes sense that you would want to weed out people who can't handle things. But the, they probably take this attitude too far, especially with the ignorance of what depression actually is and and what suicidal thoughts actually are and what human vulnerabilities actually are, the military probably takes this attitude too far. Also, number five is that there's a ton of pressure in the military, when, especially when you're at war, right? But even just when you're not um, in the theater of war, there's, there's just a lot of pressure. It's a, it's a high-pressure environment. And therefore, w- when you are... Um, struggling and there's just a lot of pressure, there's a need to vent those feelings, right? You need to sort of get those feelings off of your chest. And I see this a lot actually in my field. There's a lot of pressure in my field in mental health. And there's this need to vent about those feelings. Um, And some people don't have anywhere that they can vent those feelings and or they're told that they shouldn't complain or that they don't have a right to complain or something like this. And so when people are sort of pushed into a corner with a lot of need to vent about their feelings. One of the things that they do is they essentially try to deny their inner vulnerability. They just be like, well, uh, you know, I don't have any feelings and I don't, I don't need to vent because I'm fine. When in reality, they very much do need to vent and they very much do have feelings, which results in another defense of displacement of the shameful feelings onto an out group like those who are suffering, those who have depression and those who are, you know, experiencing suicide. So I'm guessing that some of that ableism is fueled by um, those defense mechanisms. Number six, in the military, as I said, a lot of men, there's a lot of young male energy, you know, a lot of, a lot of males, not, not only just men, but also young men and young people and perhaps particularly young men have a certain arrogance that means that they don't necessarily care about other people's feelings or they're, it's not encouraged. Let's just put it that way. And also, as we know, young people, uh, you know, prior to in the, prior to being in their late twenties, they functionally have an underdeveloped connection to their frontal lobe, meaning that it's hard for them to understand things. It's hard for them to reason. It's hard for them to, refrain from impulsive behavior. And it's also hard for them to empathize with other people's feelings. And so you add all that up and you're going to have some problems. Um, Number seven, the rest of society is ableist and ignorant about depression and suicide. So why wouldn't the military be as well? Number eight, there people have a lot of people. I have learned every, every year I come to realize that Lots of people have been traumatized, whether or not they exhibit actual PTSD or not, or they know they have PTSD or not. I have found that I I probably, in terms of my a little bit broader definition of trauma, but not too broad, I probably can, I probably, in terms of everyone that I've ever met uh, clinically and personally, I cannot think of a single person who has not been traumatized in some way. Now, I'm talking not not obviously about war trauma, but I'm talking about um, obviously sexual assault trauma. I'm talking about physical abuse trauma. 
anytime when you are terrorized, when you're afraid, when you're deeply afraid of something, that can result in what we call trauma that can result in, in effects later on in life. And our society is just really bad in terms of supporting people after trauma. One, we just don't get it. Uh, even in my field, I feel like a lot of people don't understand trauma. Um, I can't tell you how many times with my supervisees, I, I have to help them understand the depth of trauma and the, and, the, and the physical reality of the neurons regarding trauma and that it's, and that it's not something to take lightly. And um, I have supervisees who work at agencies who have other supervisors who are, you know, kind of pulling them in other directions. And it, it's just one of those things that I, I don't I can't tell if I'm just like on a high horse or on a soapbox or something or if I'm legitimately seeing something that is happening in, in our society. I, I, it's just hard for me to tell. Um, uh, let's take a break and when we get back. Let's continue this. All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so now. Go to patreon.com. When you become a patron, you get access to hundreds of patron-only episodes, patron-exclusive episodes. Also, we're having our live event come, coming up on January 27. I'm thinking about, some, some people are saying, hey, we're flying out for the live event. Um, why don't we do something because the live event's on a Saturday afternoon and evening. And so people are like, hey, you know, we're, we're flying out, and why don't we do something on Friday too? And, and there, you know, someone's like, hey, um, I know you're not going to uh, do – you're not going to record anything during the live event because you don't want to have to worry about the audio equipment and everything. But how about you do a live podcast on Friday night? And so we're thinking about doing that. So on January 26th, we might do a live podcast somewhere in Seattle not sure where maybe rendezvous stay tuned but if you go to the facebook if you like the the facebook page or um you know say that you're going to the event because we made an event on the facebook page you'll get updates as to what's happening all right um other factors as to why the military would exhibit ableism number nine lack of enough policies and practices to change the culture there's just there's been some recently which i'll get into more in a second but there just hasn't been enough movements and, a, and enough people in power doing things to make sure that ableism is a thing. I mean, how many people in the military even know what the word ableism means? <laughs> you know, How many people in society know what the word ableism means? Um, number 10, another factor in the ableism uh, prevalence in the military is gallows humor. There's just this um, thing that happens when you're in tough situations as a profession with, with your colleagues gallows humor or crude humor or, um, you know, just insensitive humor emerges. You'll see this with surgeons. You'll see this with therapists. You'll see this with professors, honestly. <laughs> you'll see it with supervisors, and you'll see it with people in the military. And that doesn't excuse it at all, but it it widens the uh, possibilities of, of what's okay in humor, which can sometimes allow ableism jokes to sneak in there. Uh, number 11, familiarity sometimes breeds a certain crudeness that is understood to be lighthearted, but, but hurtful to others. You know, I, I do this with people that I'm close to. I, I, um, uh, me and my friends and maybe even me in particular in other groups, when, when I know I can trust people, I, I'll make, I'll try to make all sorts of jokes <laughs> But one of the kinds of jokes that I 
am prone to make are extremely insensitive jokes. Yesterday, I did that actually in class with a group of students that I know really well. And so it doesn't make it doesn't mean that it's right, but it's a thing in society. So that maybe that's another thing that happens in the military. It's something that I've looked at uh, every once in a while, you know, because um, every once in a while I'll say a joke and then, uh, you know, an hour later I'll regret it severely. I'll sometimes I'll even apologize to people. I'm ah, sorry, man, that joke, that was terrible. I was stupid. I was trying to be funny and it wasn't funny and it's actually probably hurtful to people. And so anyway, um, that's a thing. And I'm guessing that's another factor in the military ableism is, you know, the jokes and the attitudes that come from that. Number 12, um, and this is a big one. If the military admitted that their members were actually suffering mentally, then the military would have to add services, which costs money, right? And they'd have to admit that their, that their practices are not wonderful, which makes them look bad. If the American people realized that war causes problems, that military service causes problems for people in the military, then American people might not want the military to have as much money or they might not even necessarily want to go to war. And and if the American people don't want a military as big or don't want to go to war, then they will vote for politicians or they influence politicians to defund the military, which basically eliminates your profession or eliminates your income. And when your livelihood is on the line, you'll do just about anything and you'll have, and you'll adopt just about any attitude you can. And military people are no different from anyone else in that way. Right? So in order to salvage your, your uh, raison d'etre, your, uh, your job and your income, and your career, then certain attitudes uh, are going to lend themselves toward, to that end. And one of the attitudes, again, total speculation, is is one of ableism and one that ridicules weakness. As and you know, when someone uh, kills themselves by suicide, a self serving attitude is to say, "Well, it's not the military that caused that. It's you know that person was weak." Suicide is is a weakness. It's not it's not our fault that he or she decided to kill themselves. It's 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 a it's something about them. So so I think that's a, a sort of a defensive um, knee jerk reaction on part of people in the military. But again, the probably the biggest factors are the fact that you have a a rigid hierarchy that is uh, with with mostly men at the top. And you also have a cultural understanding in our society and particularly in the military that being vulnerable means that you're weak and there's something wrong with you and you need to be gotten rid of. Having said all that, I just want to highlight that there are many people in the military today who, and in the past, who are at the cutting edge of social justice, some even in the upper ranks. So, so things have been changing. They, there are policies being established. There's Senate, you know, bills being passed. There's all sorts of things that are designed to help people with depression and specifically suicidal thoughts. You know, our our society is slowly addressing this. 
we're, we're slowly reducing the stigma about mental conditions in general and about depression and suicide. I mean, in, in my lifetime, I have seen attitudes about depression and suicide change significantly. So, so they're changing ever so freaking slowly, though. Um, also, there's been huge progress uh, in general around marginalization of groups. For example, in the United States military right now, people can be openly gay. You have openly gay, you know, you have policies that state affirmatively that if you are a lesbian or a, or a gay man, you can be open about that. You can talk about it. You can, you can flaunt it. You can. Now, whether or not you feel uh, welcomed or not is a whole other question. Whether or not you're bullied is a whole other question. But at least the, the, the policy is such that uh, it's okay. It's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And this is after years of the Clinton thing of don't ask, don't tell. I mean, I remember I've been waiting for these kinds of things for so long that I remember when Clinton did the don't ask, don't tell thing, I was so disappointed. And that was in the mid nineties. It was, it was illogical to me then. And it's, you know, it's just, gosh, you know, it just takes so long for things to change. Obama initiated some suicide prevention strategies for the military uh, in his time. Um, there's there as I've been saying, the waivers for mental disorders have increased. You know the the exceptions to the mental illness policies have have been been broadened. There's been increased research in this area. There's there's actually been a fair amount of research, whether it's uh, funded by the by the government or not. There's there's just been a lot of there's been a lot of eyes on it. I you'd I think today there's a lot more people aware of the fact that there, there are a lot of military people who are struggling. American Sniper touched on this a bit, but we have a long way to go, obviously, just so long to go. Uh, in, a, in a perfect world, the, the, the military would not have, a, and our society would not have an attitude of ableism. Depression would be you know, it'd just be like, well, you have depression. Let's, let's try to help you out. It's, it's, it's fine. People, some people have depression. Some people have anxiety. Some people have PTSD. Some people have this or that. It's, it's okay. It's fine. Let's try to help you. And as we're helping you, let's, you know, let's make sure that you're not going to hurt anyone. It's the same in, in my business. When someone comes to me as a therapist and say they work for the post office or they work at a restaurant or something, doesn't matter where they work. When they come to me, that's how I approach them. I'm just like, okay, let's let's see what we can do about reducing your symptoms. And also, let's make sure that you're not going to hurt yourself or hurt someone else. That's always something that's on my mind. And in the military, they, they perhaps there's a little bit of a higher standard regarding making sure that they can do their jobs. But anyone who knows anything about these sorts of issues knows that having a diagnosis of say depression doesn't automatically disqualify you from being able to do your job in the military. So, so it's, you know, just look at it practically in an unbiased way that that would be a perfect situation. Uh, And I would suspect that the majority of people who were diagnosed would be found to be fit to do their job. Once they just observe them on the job, they'd find out, yeah, you're performing fine. And, And, and with treatment, you'll, 
you'll be you'll even be less at risk you know let's let's help you out there's no there's known treatments for these kinds of things um and incidentally what they find in the military right now is that so many people are afraid of losing their jobs that they don't get help and therefore the problems get worse and that might be one of the main reasons why you see an increase in suicide is because in the general population outside of the military when you have significant suicidal thoughts you seek help a lot not a lot of, I mean, that's a whole other problem too. Like most people don't seek help at all, but perhaps you're even less likely to seek help in the military, right? Anyway, so that would be a difference in society and in the military. There would be ways in which those without power would be able to um, initiate a process that did have power, right? So let's say you're at the, the lowest rank possible and you are being treated like crap because people say that you're weak because you've thought about suicide. Well, there should be a mechanism, a system in place where you could go, like an HR department kind of a thing, and or a you know internal affairs kind of thing where that had actual teeth that you could go to them and say this is what I'm experiencing, what can we do? And that outside group would have, would have a ton of power and would be able to say, okay, these are the strategies that work best and, and let's make this uh, good for you. Let's make sure that you're not treated this way anymore. Maybe, it's, maybe they just go straight to those people and train them. Maybe they go straight to those people and issue a warning of some kind or you know, who knows. But it, it doesn't have to be like um, some massive change to the military. It just, just has to be like some people in power who have the ability to exert that power. Now, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon, honestly, because there's an analogous situation in our, in our society right now. Um, we're just now with the Harvey Weinstein and all the other people who have been accused of sexual harassment and sexual assaults we're just, in 2017, almost 2018, we're, we're, we're finally seeing people coming forward when presumably we thought that we had the mechanisms in place that would be able to help these people all along. 10, 20, 30 years ago, we had laws in place. We had uh, HR departments. We had you know advocates and this kind of thing. And somehow the victims and even many victims still do not feel safe to come forward. There, there's something wrong with that. When you are, uh, when you, when you're a victim of a crime, you should have, there should be a system in place to make you feel extremely comfortable coming forward. You know, it's sort of like, imagine that your neighbor steals your car and, and then you're like, Hey, you know, you stole my car. And then, your neighbors come over to your house with guns and they say, look, we know where you live. And if you call the cops and if the cops show up at our door, we're going to burn your house down. We're going to kill you and your family. And, and so how many people in that situation are going to say, uh, yeah, I'm going to call the cops. You know, a lot of people would, would, wouldn't go to the cops. They'd be like, well, I lost the car. That sucks. But at least me and my family aren't going to be killed. Well, we can all agree that's not okay, right? Well, that's an extreme example. When you're in the military, you should be able to come forward and say, I feel as though my unit or my battalion or whatever whatever you know group you want to say, or my superior, is making me feel like crap because I suffer from depression. And 
that person is making me feel like crap and calling me a lesbian just because I have short hair, you know, and that person is, you know, has, has issues with certain groups of people. There, there should be a way there, there should be a swift mechanism of power that says, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll make sure that we'll make sure that doesn't happen again. And if it doesn't happen again, come back to us. There should be a very quick, swift response to that. And my God, I'm guessing that is not the case in the military. I'm just, I'm just, I'm guessing there are pockets of that for sure. You know, I've, I've, I've watched videos of quote unquote woke, you know, colonels and generals, you know, upper management, shall we say. Um, but according to this patron anyway, you know, there's, there's still a problem. Um, so yeah, so that would be a perfect world. It's a, I would suspect that as our society moves forward, so will the military. And, and so we need to move our society forward is the thing. And we need, so we need to keep moving our society forward. And maybe in the military, we need to add some mechanisms to help people out. Um, all right. Well, so I know some of you are in the military. Let me know what you think about what I'm saying. Share your stories. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. Uh, as long as you're uh, polite about it, I'm cool with that. This it was that episode <laughs> of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. And please take care of yourself, particularly, particularly if you're in the military. Because... Yeah. <laughs>